It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen, at the brink of yet another crossroads, another bump in the journey, another plane full of passengers going absolutely nowhere, or at the very least going back to where they started from. Off to the left are the sage advisors telling Boris Johnson that it would be terribly unwise to lift all the restrictions as planned on June the 21st. In the middle is Health Secretary Matt Hancock, uh, not always in the middle on these things, telling anyone that wants to listen that he is open to keeping things closed. And off to the right are all the business people, all the families, all the NHS patients and individualists who know that it is the right thing to do for the government to stick to its promises. After all, what's the point of making a promise if you're not actually going to bother adhering to it. This morning we'll be taking the temperature of the nation as usual and asking you how you're doing, what you're doing and where you're doing it. Because if you're in Portugal trying to get back here, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, If you're at an airport anywhere, we'd love to hear from you. And if you're anywhere near Newquay, where the G7 summit is taking place this week, do get in touch because what we want uh, is a couple of correspondents down there. We're not going to bother spending any money going to cover the G7 because there isn't any point. It's a bun fest for a load of very, very wealthy people uh, who think that they're important and who are diplomats and who are politicians, who are world leaders, uh, you know, polishing their own um, sort of trophies and polishing their own egos and telling each other how great they all are, uh, in the meantime costing us an absolute bleeding fortune. We'll be talking to Baroness Kate Hurry up first this morning. We'd much rather talk to her because she talks an awful lot of sense uh, and she's also living in the real world. We'll find out what she thinks of the state of play, both here and on the island of Ireland, where things are getting a little bit tense, it has to be said, not just north of the border, but south of the border as well. 0344 499 1000. Meanwhile, Martin Daubney joins us with his take on the football row going on currently over Black Lives Matter and England players taking the knee. He was blocked by Gary Lineker yesterday for his troubles. not rather like me and loads of other people who don't agree with the very highly inflated pay-wise uh, football commentator. And we'll be talking to Peter Hitchens from the Mail on Sunday, who was asking the question this weekend, what is the point of our border controls and our holiday regulations when so many people are arriving on our shores every single day illegally? He's got a point, hasn't he? 0344 499 Also, Angela Levin is here with her considered opinion uh, on the naming of Harry and Meghan's latest child. Wait for it. Lilibet Diana Mountbatten, Windsor. That's a bit of a mouthful, but certainly a very royally collected name for the pair who want nothing to do with the royal family or titles. Mind you, the good news is they're taking some parental leave. Hopefully, they're taking some parental leave from annoying the hell out of the rest of the world. 
Maybe for nine months, maybe for two years. Wouldn't it be great if they just took parental leave forever and we never heard from them again? 0344-499-1000. Also, we will not be publishing a picture of Lily Bet at this time. Great. Marvellous. Thank you very much indeed. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, let us, without further ado, uh, go straight to Baroness Hurry of Lyle Hill and Rathlin, uh, who is, of course, our favourite person in the House of Lords. Kate, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. From a very slightly windy Northern Ireland. Well, do you know, um, I was wondering how it was there, because it was a beautiful weekend here. I must admit, everybody's in a much better mood uh, when the weather's nice. An awful lot of people are out and about. Um, and my sort of contention has been for a long time, and, and even more so now, uh, is that the, sort of the lockdown is kind of easing because people are making it ease, if you like. They're just going out and doing what they want to do. Yes, I, I, I think you're right. I think for the last couple of weeks, even here in Northern Ireland, where we're not quite as far... Um, um, having lifted as many restrictions as in England, people are making their own decisions based on you know what they know about the the the, the risk, and they're taking the risk decisions themselves. And I think that's where we should be at now. And so we are seeing a lot more people out. Traffic's back to normal, uh, and everyone hoping, of course, that the Prime Minister will stick to what he originally said, which was the 21st of June, which happens to be my birthday as well. Oh, excellent. And, it's, and it's the longest day of the year. So, you know, it would be a wonderful to have those restrictions lifted. And then people who still feel a little bit concerned, you know, they can make up their own minds. They won't go into crowded areas. They, they'll not perhaps uh, want to give up wearing their mask mm. on, a, on a bus. But, you know, that's their decision. And quite honestly, Mike, when we look at how few people are in hospital now uh, from this sort of new variant. If we don't do it this time, you know, there'll be another variant from another part of the world that we have to give it a, an alphabetical letter, I think, or something to make sure we don't blame that country. Um, <laughs> and, and we'll be back to square one again. So I'm hopeful that we will get back next, um, you know, on the, on, on the 21st of June, that, that we'll be back to a, a, a form of normality. It's not going to be totally normal, I think, if we're honest for a while, but it'll be back to a situation where you yourself will make up your mind about well, what exactly. you're risking. Because, you know, it's not imperative for anybody to get on a plane. You don't have to go abroad. You don't have to get uh, on a coach with loads of people. You don't have to go to a, um, a, a club. You don't have to go to a football match. You know, there's lots of things you don't have to do. But those are people who would like to do those things, want to do them. And when you see the G7 summit happening with thousands of people, hundreds certainly coming in from all over the world, uh, you've got the Euros coming up. Lots of people will be going to see football matches. You know, businesses have a right, surely, to be able to make some money. Yes, and 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 you know we forget just the cost now and again. I think people do forget the costs of what this has all been to, particularly small businesses and people who haven't been able to furlough. And you know the 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 bill of the furlough, uh, you know the furlough bill is going up and up and up. And and quite honestly, we need to get back to accepting that this now is going to be a bit like influenza every year. Mm. Probably some kind of different vaccination if people want to have it, and uh, get back to people living our own lives and you know it is rather interesting isn't it that all those people flying in to Cornwall I, I, you know I, I know it's been raised by other people but I mean no one is being asked to self-isolate there and yet those poor people in Portugal who just got out there no, feeling they were getting a holiday I, I just felt so sorry for them because you know it, it, it's not even that they could stay right to the very last minute and then come back they had to get their jabs they had to you know it just basically ruined their holiday even if they'd had a few days before right. the announcement and also what about this michael gove business where he oh. decides to uh, 
uh, enter himself into a uh, up up until now completely and utterly unknown trial uh, in which he doesn't have mm. to self isolate. Why can't they just well, give? I... Why can't they just give that to everyone coming back from Portugal? Well, exactly. And I, I was actually very interested in the fact that he went out. I presume both he and all the other ministers who went out to the, I think it was a couple of others went out to the match, paid their own way. Because I remember way back when I was sports minister and I was actually sports minister mm. and I went to the final of, 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 of a match in Europe and I got absolutely slated. Why was the sports minister spending money going out to watch a, a you know, watch a football match? I mean, in those days, and we're not talking that long ago, 20 odd years ago, it was much, much more difficult to, to, to travel to things. And, that, and now it seemed very strange that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the sports minister, it was Michael Gold yeah. going. But anyway, fine. I mean, I expect he got the result he wanted as well. So Yeah, I mean, I don't mind him going there as, no, long, as, he's, as long as he's not charging it to us, uh, as well, long as exactly, he's paying for it himself. He, I also don't mind him was. buying a ticket as long as he didn't get a freebie from somebody that he's going to later uh, <laughs> award a PPE contract to. Um, but in the end, um, he doesn't have the right to act any differently when he gets back, surely. No, I, I and I'd never heard of that before. So, I, I mean, if I was in, in Portugal and, and this had happened, I would be demanding that I was treated the same way as Michael Gove. But, yeah. you know, that we know that's not going to happen. So we just have to, I mean, it's great that programmes like yours raise these things and, and allow people the opportunity to, um, you know, to really get their frustrations out into the public domain. Yes, because a lot of people last week actually were complaining that for some reason Parliament was off again. Nobody knows quite why. I mean, just because there was a bank hole on a Monday, I don't see why Parliament has to take the rest of the week off. But basically, Boris Johnson uh, at the moment is not really under very much scrutiny. I mean, Parliament's back this week and, and we'll find out later on about the international aid vote, whether that goes ahead. I'll ask you about that in a second. But, you know, um, you know, there literally is no opportunity really to quiz the Prime Minister uh, in any way, shape or form about any of the stuff that he's doing. No, uh, well, of course, even even if Parliament hadn't had that uh, sort of whip break, which is what they always have had, mm. there's always been that one week. Um, you know, the the way Parliament's working at the moment, because everyone isn't back, because there's still this uh, sort of hybrid situation where people can zoom in and so on. It's not the same. The scrutiny isn't the same. You can't interrupt people anymore and ask, you know, ask them some about something they've said. So we need, you know, I really do, and I said it ages and ages ago i mean the government and i should be saying all civil servants should be back into their offices mm. and so should um parliament be back normally now I, I really do not understand it even the house of lords we've been sitting like miles apart <laughs> so that they could only have 30 30 odd people right. in the chamber at once and it's just 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 doesn't seem sensible anymore no, it doesn't. And I mean, that's the point about uh, June the 21st, because obviously I think what might happen on June the 21st is that most things will be reopened, but there will be some things that are somehow not quite opened up fully uh, in order to kind of keep these sage scientists happy, because that seems to be uh, the only reason why policy is still kind of cautious. Yes, and, and I, I think they'll also try to tell, probably still tell people to work from home if possible and um, you know that's putting a lot of pressure on some people mm. who really don't want to work from home and find it very very difficult but if they're being told by their employer and by the government well you work from home then they have to do it so uh, you know we, we i'm fed up really being told what to do by by sage yes. type people i think they were there to advise and government has relied far far too much on their um, you know their their decisions, and of course some of them think differently as well. But it always seems to be the negative, the negative thing that comes out. And instead of hearing how few people are in hospital, all we're hearing is about how many more people have got this um, 
this variant, you know, which is clearly not in any way as as as, as serious as as um, you know what happened last year. And also, we're now being vaccinated. What was the point of everyone rushing to get you know their two vaccinations to now be told, well, that really isn't what is going to make the decision? Right. We, also, you know, I we mean, were... talk about megalomania. You know, I was listening uh, to the radio last night as so I was driving back up to London, um, and now apparently, not only do we have to vaccinate everybody in Britain, we have to vaccinate everybody in the world. I mean, it's <laughs> almost like they've gone completely bonkers and gone right. Let's let's run everything. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I once once we have our own country well and truly vaccinated, everyone who wants to have a vaccination has it. Then, you know, I have no objection, obviously, to using some of our excess uh, vaccinations to do people in the rest of the world, particularly in the poorer countries. But you know, because we're not really going to be able to travel totally freely or feel confident about traveling totally freely until a lot more countries have actually come up to our level or at least try you know got to it but if you look at even australia i mean australia there's hardly anyone very very few people in australia have been vaccinated it's been very very late in uh, getting vaccinations so i'm i'm um, you know I'm, I'm just becoming more and more i suppose maybe it's my old age i'm becoming more and more cynical about, <laughs> about what's going on i know it's hard not to be though i mean it's very difficult because with every promise they make I just nod along now and go, yeah, right, whatever. Uh, because you know that there's not going to be much chance of it ever being actually fulfilled because they keep yep. moving the goalposts. I mean, if you look at what Matt Hancock's been saying, I mean, this is what I found astonishing. And you, I know you haven't had a chance maybe to talk to me about Dominic Cummings. You know, Dominic Cummings says that Matt Hancock basically is a, is a pr- proven congenital compulsive liar. Uh, and everybody <laughs> goes, yeah, so next, you know. <laughs> Well, I know. Well, I yes, that was a that was an amazing seven hours of of uh, scrutiny and uh, well, it wasn't even scrutiny. I think he just wanted to to tell everything and say everything in in the seven hours. But isn't it interesting that actually in the end, it didn't make any difference to um, it didn't seem to make well, any no, difference to because, the opinion because polls. because this is where we are. I think in politics now, people are so uh, their their expectations are so low that something somebody saying something like that doesn't even hit the sides. Yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's been it's been remarkable. We'll we'll see how that works out in the two by-elections that are coming up. Whether it really um, you know begins to influence, or whether actually people are just more concerned now about getting out of lockdown, you know, having their vaccinations and getting back to what is a, a kind of normal life. Yes. Well, I think more people than we know want to do that. But I think some of them are frightened of saying so because there's still this residue of people out there, many of them only lurking now on social media, who, who want to call you, you know, still want to call you irresponsible, call you a murderer, uh, say, the, say that, you know, anybody who wants to walk around without a mask on is clearly selfish yeah. and, you know, self-centred, doesn't care about the rest of the world, wants everybody to die. I mean, it's madness, isn't it? Oh, it is. And, and, and I'm afraid a lot of the media have gone along with some of that. And it's the same with that you know, thing about um, footballers taking the knee, that somehow if you're opposing that, you're some kind of, you know, mad racist. And it's just such nonsense because, you know, why why shouldn't people who are going along to a football match to watch football... Not, not be watching football and having to watch people, you know, doing also, that. I mean, also, it does, does just tell you a lot about where we are now, doesn't it? I mean, because you'll probably, like me, used to go, I used to go to a lot of football matches, not so much now. But yeah. booing is part of the fun of going to football. Now, people boo their football teams for all sorts of reasons. They boo 
somebody making use of the wrong substitution. They might yeah. boo somebody for coming off the pitch. They might boo somebody for a foul. They might boo some. I mean, some of the chanting used to be pretty, uh, shall we say, fruity to say the least. Some of the stuff Beckham <laughs> used to get was unbelievable. But it was all part oh, of I... the all part of the experience. Now suddenly we've got people say, "Oh, you mustn't boo." Because that's that's not nice. Well, you oh, know, so what? They've paid their money, uh, and and the English Football uh, Association should know better, surely. Yeah, I, I I'm amazed that they're still carrying on doing that, and then to say that they're going to be doing it all through the uh, you know the championships coming up is just just I think a, a recipe for. Uh, people who and particularly if England lose their first match well know. it's not going to do them any good <laughs> I mean unfor- unfortunately no, for Gareth Southgate it's not they're not very good you know the performance last night was pretty woeful and they haven't got much of a team and they haven't got really much of a hope of winning it they've got a lot of young players of course coming through them yeah. and I think he's looking to the long game but I mean it's not going to help if if they lose and then people boo for different reasons and then uh, and then they continue to take the knee it's just it's just, uh, you know, there are other ways of absolutely showing mm. that you're opposed to racism, particularly in football. And, 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 and the kick race in Michael football was, you know, very, very, very successful. And now it's been overtaken by this this kind of knee-jerk, ridiculous uh, uh, taking the knee. Knee-jerk, a very good, uh, very good analysis there. I like oh, what yeah, you did there. Um, <laughs> uh, now, let's talk a little bit about foreign aid, because I think this is a story which is of very little interest to most people. But there's people in Parliament who are making a big thing of it. What do you make of what's going on? Well, I, I, I've always thought that probably to set a target of a specific legal amount is not very, very sensible. Uh, and of course, that that, sh- that was said at the time that um, you know what what happens if things change. Uh, now, in theory, I think the the government should probably have to have had gone back to change the the law because it was written into law the percentage but i i i do think you know the whole country's gone through huge huge difficulties with with covid small businesses people generally are 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 worse off most most people uh even those who've been furloughed you know they haven't been able to to do things that they would have wanted to and therefore i can't see really any reason why if every part of the economy is taking a, a hit that that shouldn't as well and you know i find the headlines sort of yesterday about this because we had we had reduced by a relatively small amount uh, for a short period of time the money that's going to go to aid uh, that somehow children were going to die mm. you know that is just so emotional blackmail and i'm concerned also that a lot of our aid goes to they may say that it's not going to say foreign corrupt governments but actually by different methods always does i mean i think particularly of zimbabwe where i know that you know we are our aid program there is managing to help a lot of people who are very very poor and indeed at some stages have been very hungry but an awful lot of the aid no matter how well they try to stop it gets into the hands of those who are um you know corrupt politicians and I, you know, I, I've still never really understood why we're giving aid to certain countries where they are actually uh, spending a lot of money on, um, you know, uh, space, space. Right. Um, well, that's aid. right. And also an awful, <laughs> lot of, an awful lot of countries in Africa now are under the yoke almost entirely of China. You know, which has basically taken all of their minerals out of the ground and and continues to do so, but occasionally sort of gives them a bit of uh, a bit of cash and builds a bit of infrastructure yeah. for them. Um, and and I mean, we can all come up with examples. I remember the Malawi uh, president somehow turning uh, the foreign aid he got from us into a fleet of Mercedes. You know, and there doesn't seem <laughs> to be anybody policing what happens to the money once they get it. 
no and and we are you know in terms of we forget and again sorry i seem to be having got in the media this morning not not talk really of course that's but, fine but, don't worry know, uh, but i mean it, this whole idea that we never they never tell us just how how little other countries are doing and i know we like to be you know morally better than than other countries but it's still in terms of the european union i mean we are we are i think the highest uh, aid donor uh, of all those countries and I, I just think people have to get real, and I'm very, I'm very surprised. I'd be very, very surprised indeed if the motion is uh, goes through if it gets debated, because mm. I think a lot of um, um, uh, conservative MPs, in particular from, uh, you know, the red wall seats, will realise that this is just not an issue that you should be, you know, going to rebel on. No. It's not actually getting home to people um, living in your area. Most most people, you know, want to help people, but they don't see this as the number one priority well i mean there's an awful lot of people that need help in this country and I'm, we're going to be talking to some of them today not least from the hospitality industry and from from other businesses like weddings and events companies that can't get anything done no and 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 have no certainty about when they are going to get anything done and anytime they're given a date it changes as we've said earlier no absolutely right yeah. well we shall keep our fingers crossed kate hopefully uh, we shall be seeing you in london soon and um you know we'll get you into the studio and hopefully you'll see more people in the house of lords and the house of commons uh, before the end of the of this term as well can i just say that i am very much respecting the uh, privacy of um <laughs> uh, Prince Harry and Meghan, so I will make no comment right. whatsoever. Well, as I said earlier, I'm hoping the parental leave that they've apparently taken from, uh, I don't know what exactly, uh, will last for quite a long time and they won't bother us for a while. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> very <laughs> nice stuff. Baroness Kate Howey from Larlin and Rathlin there. A uh, very sensible woman and uh, very amusing as well. Let's face it, the fact that Meghan and Harry are taking parental leave is an absolute uh, insult to people who actually work for a living. I mean, what are they taking parental leave from exactly? What's the point? And if they promise not to bother us anymore, I'd be more than happy to send them a few quid, maybe send them some foreign aid just to shut up for a while. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I've only got a couple of words for you. He's back. He's come for America and the world to demand reparations and accountability from the Communist Party of China. Donald Trump, there it is, that word, China. Uh, he's back making rally speeches. He's talking about running for president. He's talking about taking back the White House, taking back the Senate, taking back the House. Uh, I know that people who like Donald Trump can't wait. But more importantly, people who really hate Donald Trump can't stand listening to him. Let's have another listen to it. The time has come for America and the world to demand reparations and accountability from the Communist Party of China. This is quite like annoying people, really. Let's talk to Martin Daubney, because uh, something else that's annoying an awful lot of people is the England football team taking the knee. Last night, or yes, late yesterday, uh, they had a friendly match against Romania. Very lacklustre performers, not very good. Uh, similarly, they had an earlier um, game uh, in, in, uh, uh, up in the northeast of England where both times fans booed the players taking the knee. There's a huge row going on. Uh, the people who are doing it, Gareth Southgate inspired, uh, are saying they're doing it to show... Uh, solidarity uh, and uh, Black Lives Matter is important. Uh, racism, anti-racism is important, but it's got nothing to do with football. Let's find out what Martin Daubney makes of it. Martin, very good morning to you. Till the morning, Mike. Huge fan of the show. Thank you very much indeed. Nice to, to see you. You've put a poll out on this, haven't you, uh, in terms of whether it's a good thing or a bad thing for the players to take the knee. Um, it's, it's going very much in favour of uh, a bad thing, isn't it? 
Yeah, I put it out yesterday. And that was in, in reaction to the fact that um, our, our good friend, the big-eared guy who sells crisps, um, <laughs> was basically saying that Gareth Southgate has explained why England players take the knee. Therefore, you should all agree. If you don't agree, you're a racist. And I said, you know, first of all, he was wrong on Brexit. Now he's wrong on this. Ordinary fans are sick of this. I said uh, the reason that I want this virtue signaling nonsense to end is it's divisive. Regular fans do not want it. The booing reflects that. And it's all because this isn't just a phrase. It's a political movement. It's yeah. a political movement that wants to defund the police, abolish capitalism and destroy the nuclear family. It's a left-wing ideology. It has no place in football. I said that. Gary Lineker, the coward, blocked me. Well, good riddance. Good, good riddance of bad rubbish. I then put a poll out saying, what, what's your thoughts on it? Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And until Lineker's lot got involved, 80% wanted this to end. I think it's written currently at 65% want it to end. But I think the booing that we saw last night will just get louder and louder and louder, Mike. Mm. And the European Championships start this week. And if this nonsense carries on, I think we're going to see trouble. We're going to see trouble on the terraces and we're going to see trouble in pubs in England because yeah. if fans start booing at televisions in pubs and somebody else in the pub takes umbrage to that, we're going to see it properly kick off. Yeah. It's divisive and it's got to stop. Well, that's right. And I saw Boris, uh, Gareth Southgate's um, press conference in which he basically said, look, we don't want to be asking and answering questions about this all the way through the tournament. The players just want to get on with the football. The players just want to play football. And you go, well, in that case, why are they taking the knee? Because it's a very simple solution to this. If they stop it, there won't be any booing and all the stuff you've just described won't happen. Yeah, I mean, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? You know, It's been going on for long enough now. And the reason there was no booing in the first instance, Mike, is because the stadiums were empty yeah. of fans. And the more and more fans we see going back, the louder and louder the booing will become. Now, where I live in southeast London, the nearest football ground is Millwall. Mm. Millwall fans were some of the first to boo the loudest. Yeah. And this isn't because they're, they're intrinsically racist. It's because the Black Lives Matter rioters desecrated the, the cenotaph. They sprayed graffiti on the Churchill statue. And, and the following Saturday, as you will recall, Mike, football fans turned up to, pr to protect those statues. Yes. This is didn't, one of them try, didn't one of them try and set fire to this flag as well? Yeah, one of the Black Lives Matter um, protesters uh, got their lighter out and tried to set fire to the Union flag at the Cenotaph. To me, that is the ultimate act of desecration of servicemen and women who died in every conflict that British servicemen have ever taken part in. It's as simple as that. And that was done under the banner of Black Lives Matter. It's nothing to do with ending racism. We have a perfectly useful and serviceable function called kick it out. In football, mm. already, that could be signal boosted. Every right-minded person wants to stamp out racism. But we shouldn't be doing that via Black Lives Matter. It's killing the game. Also, it's what's interesting, Martin, is, what's also interesting is the way the media is taking this, because the media is, is swallowing the kind of England football line, right, and not really questioning. Because if I'd been standing in front of Gareth Southgate when he made that statement about the group is all uh, in favour of it, I would have said to him, what are you going to do, Gareth, if one of your players says he doesn't want to take the knee? Are you going to withdraw him from the team? Are you going to allow him to remain standing while everybody else kneels down? What are you going to do? Because nobody's asked him that question. Well, interestingly, if you, if you look last night at the Riverside Stadium, um, there were two England fans who, who didn't take the knee, two, two England players, I beg your pardon, 
who didn't take the knee. Mm. Um, I wonder if any of your listeners know who those players are. I'd like to say well done to those lads. Mm. You know, they, they, they are leading by example. And there are a number and a growing number, Mike, of black footballers um, such as Zaha, who aren't taking the knee. Yeah. Because yeah. they are saying um, they've, they've done some research into who, the, who these, these, these yobos are. And they've realized, they, they've kind of red-pilled, they've seen the light. Uh. And we can, we can be all for stopping racism and against taking the knee for Black Lives Matter in football. The two things are not mutually exclusive. No. The other issue for me, Martin, is it's the one thing to do it if you're playing for a club uh, and you decide because you want to be uh, virtue-signalling Chelsea players that you're all going to take the knee, or Manchester City are all going to take the knee. But this is the England football team which is, by the way, subsidised to the tune of £30 million of public money every single year. I know they get sponsorship from other places, but they get £30 million of taxpayers' money. Now, I think that means that they have to be robustly and completely and utterly independent. Yeah, that is true. And lest we forget, um, FIFA's, the world governing body of football, and UEFA, and the Football Association, and the Premier League's own rules stipulate with perfect clarity and lucidity, Mike, that political gestures are not allowed on the pitch right. and not on kit. So why is the Black Lives Matter logo on, on shirts in the Premier League? It's clearly a political movement. If anybody thinks it isn't, then go to the Electoral Commission website and notice that the Black Lives Matter movement has applied to be a political yes. party. Anybody who thinks this isn't political needs to wake up and smell the coffee. And if the, own, if the directive of the world governing body says no politics in football, then what the bloody hell are they doing taking the knee to a political movement? They're breaking their own rules. Wherever you stand on Black Lives Matter, if we don't have rules in football, what's the point? And regardless of, of whether you're on the side of the players doing it or not, Henry Winter from The Times has said quite rightly, quite shrewdly, this will have an effect on the team because what it's doing uh, is completely and utterly kind of upsetting the apple cart. You know, they talk an awful lot about proper preparation and they talk an awful lot about players being ready uh, and playing at the right time and peaking at the right time. If you're getting booed as soon as you step out onto the pitch before you start playing, that's going to affect your performance, isn't it? Of course it is. I mean, every cohesive, successful, winning football team has a united dressing room. It has harmony behind closed doors. That's why we saw great England teams individually in the past didn't perform as a unit because they didn't get on. And we've already seen two players not taking the knee last night. Well, how's that going to go down the dressing room? Are they going to be um, ostracised and, and you know outlined as 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 closet racists? Yeah. So how can that possibly help the build for the game? And if Gareth Southgate wants to make good on his promise for us to stop talking about this, then stop getting your player to take the knee, Gareth. Yes. It's easy. It really is. It I mean, Gareth, Gareth Southgate is such a virtue signaller. I mean, you can tell just by looking at him. He's one of these chin-stroking guys and everybody goes, oh, he must be terribly important and very intelligent because mm -hmm. he strokes his chin a lot. You know, I was loving uh, Rod Little's column this weekend in the Sunday Times yeah. where he wrote about Gaza uh, when he was about yeah. to play a game against Norway. Norway. Have you got a message for the people of Norway? And he went, yeah, F off Norway. And everybody yeah. laughed and everybody fell about. It's football, for heaven's sake, right? Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's a really important point you you hit upon when you said earlier about the, about the journalists and by and large how they've reacted. Gareth Southgate, Gary Lineker, 
all these people are completely out of touch with the terraces. Now they don't understand that. And what's happened is that a once noble working class sport where people bonded on the terraces and they spent their money, you know, has now changed beyond recognition to this kind of chin-stroking, intellectual, middle-class elite. Yeah. People like Lineker, you know, all these people... They're all millionaires, by the way, it. Martin. Big bottom? They're all millionaires, by the way. Yeah, and that's, and that's another thing I think. I think football fans are taking quite hard to swallow. Mm. They're being told how to behave in terms of their, their political outlook by players who earn more than they will in, in three years in one week. Yeah. And it just sticks in the crawl. It's like, stop telling me how to think. Stop telling me how to live my life and just kick the ball. Do what you're paid to do and stop forcing this yeah. nonsense down our throat. It's dividing the game. Everywhere Black Lives Matter goes, Mike, it creates havoc. The British public see this. If you look at all the opinion polls, even people of BAME origin say racial integration has worsened since BLM hit mm. our shores. It's dividing society and now it's killing the game of football. Yeah, I know. It's shocking state of affairs. Great to talk to you, Martin. Thanks very much indeed. Martin Dormley there. Go vote on his poll uh, and let's see what the end result will be. Over 10,000 people voted already, uh, very much in favour uh, of stopping the bending uh, or the taking of the knee because it's got nothing to do with football. And Martin makes a very good point. This will cause problems, not just at football matches, but also in pubs, in places where football is going on. People will get into rows with one another about the taking of the knee. And it's a not a necessary thing. And it's very easy to stop and it's very easy to be sorted out. But the booing is not going to stop. England are not going to win uh, the Euros because they're not good enough. But also, uh, this is going to affect the way that they play. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's go back, though, uh, to the phones, because we haven't done too many phone calls this morning. Uh, Ryan is in the New Forest. Hello, Ryan. Hello, sir. How are you? Very well indeed. How's it going? Yeah, it's a lovely, lovely, beautiful day. I'm pushing away, as they say. So, Isn't yeah. it beautiful? It's, it makes everybody just feel better, doesn't it? It does. It does. I, this last year, I've literally uh, taken stock of how lucky I am in the part of the world I'm in. The New Forest is absolutely beautiful, especially with all the uh, non-cutting of... Uh, council verges that is going on it means we've just got wildflowers everywhere so it's brilliant <laughs> i don't know where my council tax is going though, yeah but, well i don't uh, mind if they don't cut the hedges as long as they don't actually then obscure the road because i know there was a couple of places in sussex where i lived um where you couldn't actually see past the hedge to turn right without uh we couldn't see any cars coming because the roads were all covered up with hedge well, I was, on my actual corner of my road there is a, a one that we've cut ourselves because it actually grows into the road so much it turns two lanes into one as you Dear come around God. the corner so, yeah that's not good Yeah. and what's this to do with no. Covid they're not cutting it <laughs> yeah you name it I suppose any sort of excuse to you know cut back on a service I mean like I say there's been no reduction in my uh, in my council tax but no. there's a definite definite reduction in the services that is visible yeah. I mean I'm sure anyone in the country would say that I mean I'm looking at a weed now that's taller than me I'm, no I listen I'm sure I'm sure that's right but well, listen we haven't sure got loads of time uh, Ryan you want to talk about the football okay yeah basically I'll be as quick as I can I fell out with my friends at the weekend or a couple of my friends it's getting to a point I understand that they don't like Marxism and they don't like defunding the police but I've never seen one of my friends go on a communist march mm. uh, anti-communist march and I feel that I put it to them that if the players were kneeling against child abuse or paedophilia or something like that, that they wouldn't be booing out of principle. And therefore they are booing. They're not taking into account the plight 
I mean, why do it? I mean, if you if you literally, if someone is, is bothered to kneel because they feel oppressed about something or they want to support someone... Yeah, but do they, they really feel oppressed? I mean, these are millionaires, uh, right? No, no, they don't, though, but they're obviously pointing out, aren't they? And they, they do get racially abused. I mean, we could always just abuse them about the amount of money they got rather than their skin colour, couldn't we? Well, I think they get, raci- they get racially abused. They get abused generally. I mean, you know what football matches are like. Football fans like to abuse the players. It's not very pleasant. It's not very nice, but it's something that happens in the same way that they boo for all sorts of reasons. They boo sometimes when you bring on the wrong player. They boo sometimes when you send off the wrong player. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course they do. But then they, they are for very sort of, they could be classed as trivial reasons and ones that aren't, um, you know, they don't, uh, it's not going to carry on uh, being a problem in society because the wrong sub's been brought on um, in the Southampton match. Well, the, the, the society's is... not going to get any better because a bunch of very well-paid footballers take the knee before every game they play either. No, it's not, but society's going to get worse if a section of society choose to boo those people for taking the knee. Because I don't understand why you've got to make vocal you hate for something um, or your disdain for something, because it's not actually... All, all you're actually doing... Well, they're entitled, actually, to, they're entitled to express themselves, aren't they? Yeah, they are, but, I mean, then, is, is, because like I say, is, at the moment it's causing conflict and it's splitting up yes, society. Yes, but what's so actually causing the conflict, Ryan? What's causing the conflict? Is it the booing or is it the taking of the knee? I think it is possibly the uh, society's, and, and I come from, you know, I am a white, middle, you know, middle-aged man, and I, my peer group I am attacking here. Mm. I think that a lot of them are having trouble uh, sort of contemplating a new standing in the world, and it might be very deep in that sense, and I don't know how subconscious my, um, you know, uh, uh, ties to the sort of mindset I grew up in, you know, it, it, contextually, I haven't really taken stock of that from the 80s onwards, but I feel... Well, you mean you're worried you might be a racist, but you don't know you are? <laughs> no, but I've, 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 I've against that. I said the P word once when I was 10 years old. Yeah. The only time I said it, and I'm quite proud of that, but I said it to a, a, a nipper and he ran off, cried his eyes out, and then the teacher took me to the side. It was the only time I actually said anything like that, and I know I'm very special in that regard because I, have, I was at a... Uh, my, my very good friends at the weekend, barbecue, they're lifelong friends. Right. And they will spout racism and they think it's okay and I, I'm always at odds with them and I just don't know why we can't just... You why know, are you still friends with them then? If Sorry? Why are you still friends with them? Because they're not lifelong... Like I say, this is lifelong peer groups that are actually coming out with opinions they wouldn't have before. Maybe because they're being, you know, they're having to face a, a, a situation or subject they, they're not necessarily like, but they haven't really thought of much before. And when they have to take stock of the angles of their thoughts and where they're coming from, they, they then seem that they're actually wrong in that, and it's hard for them to take, and I feel they, they're on the back foot. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly, as, as we were saying earlier, there is, there is suggestions that since the advent of the whole Black Lives Matter movement, all sorts of um, problems have occurred. And now you might say that's because people are having to think about things they never thought about. I would say uh, it's because people are just not very happy about the way that people are being divided deliberately. And, and people who are white being told that they're somehow in the wrong just for being white. I think people don't like that. Well, I completely agree, because like I say, I'm white. And I, but that's I one of the messages of the Black Lives society. Matter movement. One of their messages is that basically white people uh, are the enemy. I think more it means like an, un, an unyielding white society is the enemy and the perpetuation of that is what we need to fight rather than individually white Yeah, but people. we don't have an unyielding white myself, society, do we? But we don't have Sorry. an unyielding white society, right? We have one of the most multicultural countries in the world. 
Yes, we do. Yeah, no, I completely agree. But what I'm saying, I'm not saying people aren't twisting it past exa- the point of exaggeration, and and that might also, that, no, that definitely is adding to people's, uh, you know, thoughts on the matter. But it, it still doesn't mean that we're not we're not travelling in the right direction. But, but wouldn't it, but wouldn't it have been a simpler way to solve the problem for Gareth Southgate to say, look? We've been doing this taking of the knee thing. We wanted to make that point. We still will continue to make the point, but we will make it in a different way. And we will stop uh, uh, taking the knee because clearly it's upsetting a lot of the fans and we don't want to play uh, football in a situation where the players are being booed. So what we'll do instead is we'll stand in a circle and link arms or something. Why couldn't they do that? Because then when, when isn't it just, just pointless? Isn't surely they just boo the linking of the arms? Well, they might they? not. You I mean, don't know do that. that. The point about the, well, no, the, okay, the taking the not. knee is an American adaptation it's not something that was ever done in this country it's now being done in this country but it was initially started by an american football player and it was about not standing for the national anthem it's a very different thing and it was about black people being shot by the police i oh, know but maybe because uh, we're british then maybe we should take a bow or do something slightly more well i think it would be a lot more, <laughs> this is going to go horribly wrong for gareth southgate and for the football you know, it's just not going to work. But listen, Ryan, I've got to run. Thanks for your call. Appreciate it very much indeed. Uh, this story will run and run because people will not give up on either side. And that means that there will be more booing. There will be more bad feeling. And I think Martin Dalby's right. It might kick off in pubs. People might start, you know, Ryan's there saying he had an argument with his friends. There might be arguments all over the place. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. And now time to welcome Mr. Peter Hitchens. Without further ado, Peter, how are you? 
So far, so good. Very good, very good. Are you feeling uh, optimistic today? Are you feeling full of the joys of spring? The weather's nice, you know, it's a good day for, for going out and wandering. No, no, I'm scanning the horizon for dark clouds and approaching <laughs> rain. It's, as I constantly tell you, it's being pessimistic that keeps me so cheerful. <laughs> Two optimists it's just ask for trouble. Yes, it's and very true. Is, is Eeyore. <laughs> and also uh, the C.S. Lewis character Puddle Glum in The Silver Chair, both very sensible characters who, who kept pessimism alive at a time when others were being foolishly optimistic. Yes. Well, I must say, this past year, I suppose, has, has taught anyone who is an optimist uh, not to be quite so optimistic. No, no, it doesn't seem to have done. Does it? <laughs> All those poor people went off to Portugal thinking that they'd be able to have a holiday. And what they ended up with was a marathon of being tested and rushing back home before they wanted to. And then yeah. they're going to self-isolate so for, te for 10 miserable days, presumably being snooped on. Uh, they were optimistic. And then what happened to them? Well, right. Yeah, I had so, a message yesterday. I had a message yesterday from, from a, a holiday maker who made it back, who said she may call in today or tomorrow. Uh, but she managed to get back yesterday. She said, I've already had two phone calls to check whether I'm in my own house. You know, it I seems remarkable. Have lots more, I think, yeah. And who knows whether, whether people will come around and peer through her windows as well, just in case. Well, exactly right. And you made this the point... Where we now live. Wee Willy Winky runs through the town. <laughs> Other people in their beds. And, and, and in case they're not doing that, there are plenty of people who apparently are your neighbours who will happily uh, shop you to the, to the authorities if you do anything wrong. Well, that depends on your relations with your neighbours, really, doesn't it? If, if, if you've cheesed them off at some point in the past 20 years, now's their chance for revenge, isn't it? Well, exactly right. Now, you made a very good point in your column this weekend about the uh, nonsense, really, of these regulations of travel, um, banning people from going places, telling them they can go and then making them come back. Given what's going on every single day, particularly in the nice weather, uh, where uh, you and I know uh, at the very least there's hundreds of people a week arriving uh, on these dinghies and being aided uh, sometimes from French waters to get here. Yeah, well, sometimes you, you, you put two things together and it makes it, it makes extra sense. This is the genius of, of that uh, that great cartoonist Matt Pritchard in the Telegraph, who mm. almost every day puts together two completely different ideas. I, what happened with me was that I'd been thinking about writing about this contrast, and then I, I was in the office talking about somebody well known to me who's in Spain and saying I had no idea how he was going to get back, and, and then it's, I said. Well, perhaps he could uh, perhaps he could get a dinghy and, and paddle himself across the channel. <laughs> everybody laughed because immediately everybody got the ridiculous contrast between the way in which the the law-abiding and, and, and ordinary people of this country are treated at the moment, and the absurd way in which we have we've, we've completely ceded control of the channel waters, uh, so that we now pretty much have to welcome into the country anybody who steps ashore. There, I know some of the people who come ashore possibly do get sent back, but in general, people who arrive in the country in this fashion don't, partly for the very simple reason that, that most of them have no passports and we, we don't know how to return them or where to return them to. But it, it is the most extraordinary thing to watch, uh, total impotence in the face of this. I had the same feeling often when traveling to the United States. I once went to the U.S. border with Mexico yeah. uh, on the Rio Grande, and I, it, you could walk across it. And yet, if I, if I flew into Washington, D.C., let alone Miami, and, uh, and queued for four hours at the uh, passport control, was then questioned brutally by, by south-faced uh, immigration inspectors. And I thought, well, what, what is the point of, of being a first-world country and traveling legally to another first-world country like this? Uh, if I just strolled across uh, at, at El Paso, uh, I wouldn't have any of this fuss. 
and I know, of course, <laughs> that there are there are other uh, other problems about strengthening cross male passive, but the fact is that countries make a fetish uh, of their border controls and everything else, uh, which are abided by by law-abiding free people. But they they're, they're very very weak often on particularly on migration at the moment, and this this extraordinary business on the on the Channel Coast must be worrying. Surely, we the whole point about 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 immigration is you let in who you want to let in and you decide under your laws and regulations who can come and people who want to come go through procedures they fill in the forms they tell us who they are uh, we examine their their records and we find out whether we want them or not and they come in or they don't come in but anybody who, who gets across the channel this fashion doesn't have to go through any of that right uh, i just think that's the it, it, i'm accused of all kinds of horrible things for saying this uh, I have nothing against these people. I, I admire their enterprise, actually. I think anybody who's got the guts to, to, to set out across the channel, even if they're being ferried by horrible people smugglers, it takes some nerve to do it and some enterprise. But mm. I, 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 I sympathize with anybody's desire to live a better life than the one they live. But that doesn't mean that we have to go all soppy and say, all right, then you can come in without any further ado. Yes, but I think uh, that's... that's... It has to be devised to stop this, to d deter it, I think, yes. really, from starting in the first place. Well, well, I think that's right. But I think the other problem, Peter, is that people assume that these are people of their own kind of uh, will making decisions which then uh, lead them to decide to come uh, independent of anybody else. Whereas I think an awful lot of it is now happening on an industrial scale. And I don't think it could happen on this kind of scale if it wasn't very well organised. And I think it is very well organised. It's, it's, it's organised because there's a market for it. Yeah. People, living, people living in these countries, especially since the fall of, of Gaddafi, which basically opened up the Mediterranean, and also since the, the, the mad Syrian war, which this country, the United States and France have promoted, uh, created so many refugees. There's been an enormous flow of people who, who who now feel they, they they have nothing to hope for at home and can see the, the strong possibility that if they keep moving, they will get to a much richer country where there are much better prospects for them. And the, the, what the people smugglers do is they extract as much money from them as possible and then promises of more. Yeah. They get them into their country of destination and then they blackmail them and right. continue to pay them. It's, it's a horrible situation to be in. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be in it. And I'm, I'm not any, any say saying that the journeys they have are soft or their lives are soft or anything. Like that. I just think it's wrong uh, to for the world to have made this thing possible because most of the people who take part in it are being hideously exploited and won't achieve the happiness or the prosperity that they seek. No, quite. But also many of them will end up working in inside criminal gangs. And I believe many of them are brought here for that very purpose. And that is also the problem, because the other story... Well, I, I, wouldn't, I simply don't know about that. I mean, if you, 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 there, there may be occasions. I, I think we, I, I like to presume innocence on, on, on all occasions and, and, and goodwill and, and all kinds of other things. Many of these people are, may, might well be very good neighbours if they, if they got here. I'm not, that's not my point. My no, but point I'm, not, is, I'm saying that they're, they're victims, the though. Can't organise themselves to actually uh, keep actually maintain their own rules about who should cross borders, and then they create they help to create this particular form of misery. The other thing is those people who say, "Oh, we'll let them in." I say, "Do you actually think uh, at all what you're saying? What would a world without borders be like?" Mm. Some vague, airy, fairy utopian might find it an attractive idea to have a world without borders, but if anybody can can get into any country at any time and live there without restraint. What would actually happen uh, to those settled civilizations, especially the more prosperous ones? Mm. Uh, I don't think anybody, even people who read The Guardian, would actually like it if it happened. Uh, people should just be more careful what they wish for.
Yes. And I'm not by any stretch of the imagination, Peter, suggesting that these people who are coming into this country are and were always criminals. What I'm saying is, is that they make a deal with the people traffickers. And sometimes that deal involves them coming here and then being employed in some dodgy business that the, the people traffickers are connected to. So they're as much a victim as anybody else yeah. in the whole situation. Sure. I, I, I think one of the difficult, great difficulties about this is the extreme problem of actually finding out what happens uh, to, to these individuals. Mm. Because and this is the other great danger from this. And it will. And I've, I've been an opponent of identity cards uh, for many, many years. And I think they're a terrible imposition. The problem is, if we get enough people in this country who are undocumented and have arrived here illegally and we don't really have any handle on them, the pressure, the political pressure to have some form of, of, of compulsory identity uh, to control, for instance, access both to employment and to the health service and to uh, uh, welfare payments is going to grow. And it's going to be very, very hard for people like me to continue to argue against it. I will. But I, I think the, the practicalities of it will make it, it will make it much harder than it was before. This is another data. If you want to have a free society, actually, you have to have strong borders to protect it from outside interference. And this is the difficulty which we're in at the moment. We have weak borders, and therefore it's much, much harder to maintain the freedoms which we had for centuries, which relied on us being an island country, largely unbothered by outside influences and unable to control who came in and into it. Right. But we now have the rather obscure and rather unusual uh, lawsuit going on where uh, the Department of Child Children's Services in Kent is basically suing the government to say, enough already, we can't deal with all these kids who are getting uh, into Kent as a result of this migration uh, because we've, we can't cope anymore. There's too many of them. Has anybody actually asked them how they define children here? I, mean, I don't. I haven't been looking very closely, but I, I don't tend to see many children on the, 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 visible on the, the. Well, actually, they define children as anybody up to the age of twenty-five. Strangely. Uh, well, that, that's not my definition of child. But, no. Okay, but it's always good if you're if you're arguing for public money to, to do it on behalf of children. Hence, the, the, you know, the Child Poverty Action Group is much more effective at, at getting support than something called the Poverty Action Group. Yes. As soon as introduce the word child. People, people listen more to what you say. But I, who can blame the, the Kent's local authorities for being worried? Because obviously, at the moment, unless you have a distribution system in the country, which is quite effective, then most of the people who arrive are going to end up in Kent, which is not, uh, despite its image as the Garden of England, a particularly rich county. So you can, you can see why they're trying to get more money out of the government. And, but what this means, of course, is the government then has to awkward business of deciding where else to send the new arrivals. Yes. The other that, thing that, that I'm really... told anecdotally, um, and again, uh, I have no reason to disbelieve people that live in places like Dungeness, is that not every single dinghy is picked up by the border force. Some of the dinghies actually make it onto a beach. And then those people just get off the dinghy and wander into uh, into the countryside. And there's quite a bit of that going on. So there are, there are probably more people coming than we even know. I would imagine so. And it, it is even with modern technology and modern drones, even if you've got, I mean, the French complain about this, and I believe them, uh, that when they're trying to patrol their own coasts to stop people leaving, as they, they say they're doing, uh, even the, with, with all the surveillance they have, they haven't got the people to rush to the sea to stop it. So you might get a drone saying there's a group of people getting into a boat here, just you know, but you haven't got anyone to send. Mm. So off they go. And once they're, once they're in... in in the channel itself, the chances are very, very strong that they will they will make it to the British side. So it would take the deployment, if you can't deter people from doing this in the first place, it would take the deployment 
very, very large numbers of people to to uh, to prevent them leaving France and prevent from getting into Britain. But ultimately, the folly in this lies in David Cameron's idiotic, inexplicable uh, overthrow of the Gaddafi regime in Libya, uh, which turned the country into a cauldron of, of blood and screams, uh, and also broke down a, a very major barrier to, to mass migration from Africa to, to Europe. Yeah. Uh, which Gaddafi was constantly threatening he would do if people didn't leave him alone. So this this is, I know that the, the Blair creature gets constant stick for the Iraq war. It should be it should be leveled against until the day he departs to among us. But David Cameron, by and large, doesn't get anything like the equivalent of the amount of criticism for his catastrophic Iraq war. Mm. And nor do the idiots who have who've turned Syria into a pile of ruins and who've also created an enormous migration crisis there. A lot of this stuff is actually stupid political decisions, not taken by the British people, but taken by their leaders, coming home to roost. So should we then look upon fixing those countries? Because clearly at the moment, I mean, I've seen footage as well, I don't know if you saw it a couple of weeks, maybe last week or the week before, uh, of some people actually swimming uh, to Gibraltar and then around Gibraltar and into Spain, because that's, you know, it's, it's relatively close to North Africa there. Um, and so if this is something that's going to just continue to happen and we can't really stop it, surely the answer then uh, is to go back to those countries, perhaps, and rebuild them, no? Well, it certainly, it certainly would be. Uh, the, the current attitude of the, of the Western governments towards Syria and the, the continuing sanctions against it, rather than helping it rebuild seems to me to be remarkably stupid. Mm. Uh, but I think, given that... Uh, my first rule is this. If you don't like this sort of thing, don't start stupid wars. Mm. Similarly, if you don't like atrocities, don't start wars. And this, the willingness of politicians to start wars and actually of people to support them has been far too great in the past 20 or 30 years. So stop doing that. But yes, I think there has to be an argument uh, for, 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 for trying to, to reconstruct these spaces. But it's fantastically difficult. It's Humpty Dumpty. Mm. If, you, if you destroy a country as we destroyed Libya and Syria and indeed Iraq, it's incredibly difficult to put them together again. Yeah. It'll take years. In the meantime, we have these, 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 these great numbers of people coming towards this country uh, and, 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 and right the way across the, the richer countries of Europe. And no sort of resolute policy seems to emerge from any place to try and stop this... this, this this, this this spread of people from continuing. Mm. I think the, the, what there, obviously what you say is right, that we need to do something about the countries we wrecked, but we also need to do something about deterring people from, the, from actually making the, the Channel Crossing, indeed making the Mediterranean Crossing. And it would be good for them, good for us. The only people who really suffer from that would be the people smugglers, who we would, if we were effective about it, put out of business. But this has to be a cooperative exercise between the countries involved. You can't just, I don't think you can do it unilaterally. We're not Australia. We don't have an enormous uh, passage of sea between us and the people who want to get to us. Uh, and, and therefore, we, we really have to be doing it in concert, particularly with the French. Yes, I think that's right, because Pretty Patel's efforts, apparently, so far anyway, don't appear to have worked in any way, shape or form. They keep talking about a new bill being produced. But, you know, unfortunately, people in dinghies tend not to pay much attention to laws that they already uh, don't pay any attention to. No, I know. And I, I, do, I do concede. I don't have any particularly high, high opinion of, of, of Pretty Patel as a, as a, as a minister. But, and I do concede that it is a difficult problem and not one which can just be sold overnight. And I, I, and I, I do think that the fundamental lesson we need to learn from it is not to be so blithe about, about starting wars mm. 
in the Middle East and, uh, and indeed in North Africa. But having said that, I, I, I do not think it is beyond the wit of man to devise systems uh, to deter people from making this, this, this perilous journey, which places many of them in the hands of of criminal gangs. Yes. And finally, Peter, just one thing. I noticed you put a tweet out to Jordan Peterson uh, last week um, looking for him. Um, what do you make of Mr. Peterson's uh, efforts uh, to, to sort of try and make sense of the world? Well, I think they're quite funny, actually. He, 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 he seems to me to be a cult figure. I wrote a review of his of his, his book. It was a 12, mm. uh, 12 steps to, 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 I don't know, was it uh, 12 steps to, to tranquility? Or it, it sounded like some guru sitting on top of the Himalayan yeah. peak uh, and, and, had, and had slightly ludicrous aspects to it. I get in terrible trouble with his admirers <laughs> for saying this because they are, they're completely besotted with him. They, they worship him. Yes. Criticism is taken very badly indeed. But I, I thought the book was quite funny. Uh, and I, I, I'm slightly puzzled that people think of, of, of Professor Peterson as being particularly conservative or right-wing because I don't think he is. And people keep saying, well, why don't you get together? Well, I'm happy to have discussions with practically anybody. Mm. Uh, in, in, and, I, and I would do so. I just so I just put out a tweet saying, where are you? I'm ready to rumble. Yeah. Uh, I haven't had a response yet. I mean, if, if a man can stand, what was it, two hours of Stephen Fry, an hour with me should be easy. <laughs> I would have thought so. Yeah, I'd much prefer you than to put Stephen Fry. I mean, it felt Fry. like five hours with Stephen Fry. <laughs> yeah, I haven't managed to. It may have been half an hour. I, I don't know. I haven't dragged myself through that particular torture yet. I'm, I'm saving up a, a really rainy, horrible weekend for it, I think. Peter, thank you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens, Mail on Sunday columnist there. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. So there I was, sitting around Sunday afternoon, happily, you know, just having a cup of tea, sitting in the garden, enjoying the bird song, and suddenly the silence was broken by breaking news uh, that uh, Prince Harry... And, of course, Meghan, who does not wish to be a princess and have nothing to do with the royal family because it's obviously racist, uh, have had a baby uh, born on Friday in Santa Monica. And uh, Lilibet is the name given. Lilibet Diana Mountbatten Windsor. It's a bit of a mouthful. We thought better talk to Angela Levin about it. Angela, very good afternoon to you. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. I mean, I wasn't expecting to have you on uh, yesterday morning, but but here we are. I mean, I, I guess we, we were kind of probably of the opinion that at some point in the next few weeks the baby would be born but they've always been quite sort of secretive really i don't blame them for being secretive about the, the exact uh, due date but um born on friday um what do you make of the name lilibet because it seems to me that uh, they're making a big effort to continue continue to be connected to the royal family that they supposedly despise yes quite right um, I actually think it's a terrible invasion of the Queen's privacy. Mm. Um, and I think that this was a special name that her grandfather, King George V, gave her when she was very small. And she couldn't say Elizabeth right. like an adult. So she used to say Lilibet, and he called her that. And then um, the Duke of Edinburgh picked this up and called it to her. It was a sort of another way of saying darling really yes. it's a very um loving emotional uh, intimate name and um i think that his death was so um few weeks ago that it's a very distasteful i absolutely think it's terrible i think lily which was in the next word in which is actually going to be referred to rather than lilibet yeah. is a delightful name 
It's similar to Elizabeth, but not encroaching on her privacy. Yes. Now, as to the question of whether they asked her or not, it's believed that Harry did, but he could have done it in a rather cunning way by saying, we'd love to name our baby daughter. Um, you use your name for our baby daughter. Yeah. That is what's saying Lilibet. And he pulled a stunt similar to that when he, um, he did this um, uh, mental health uh, uh, program with yes. uh, Oprah because he said that he had got his grandmother's permission in 2019 to do this mental health documentary. But he said it was all about um, people from the Invictus Games and ex servicemen and women who were suffering from mental problems and the queen gave him permission but that's not what we heard what we heard is harry pouring his heart out about he was ignored and he was neglected and the queen wasn't a very good mother and prince charles wasn't a good mother and he's got this uh, genetic gene that he can't get rid of so it's a bit of a muddle but i i suspect there was a bit of a undercover behavior there well exactly because because it is kind of a nickname and as she signed the letter the, the little note that she put on uh, on prince philip's um you know um, coffin as it were as he was being carried off you know signed lilybet um you just think that's rather a personal thing don't you and it almost it's very precious yeah. it's very precious to her and I think she would also be concerned that just as they've done um, Archwell Foundation, they might do a Lilibet Foundation and Almost use certainly. her name and use her name commercially, which will make the Queen incredibly unhappy. Well, I believe now, they. I believe that. I believe they've already registered the name uh, as a domain yeah. name, which means, which is understandable, I suppose, because it means that nobody else can <laughs> register it. Yeah, you can stop other people by doing that, but I think the Queen will be deeply hurt if they do that as well and they can't not because Megan is a real feminist as we know and she will want her daughter to have exactly the same that Archie is having um, and, and that will be her priority not whether the Queen minds that they use her name. They could have said Elizabeth, they could have said Lily yeah. and it would have been absolutely fine. I think this is a very bad judgment. Often they do these things. They mm. want to try. After uh, Harry's interview with Meghan, that first shocking one that went on for hours, um, he said he's doing this because he wants to speak the truth and get back to being with his family, having been terribly rude and unkind about all of them. Um, and maybe he meant well that they would all think, oh, yes, this is the truth. Let's all get back together and mm. forget the horrible bits. But... Uh, they don't seem to have common sense like this program. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sad. I'm sad to say they do not. No, but also, um, you know, when the Queen passes away, um, this will be their kind of tribute, I suppose they'll say to her. But it's a bit. I just it seems a bit over familiar to me. It's very. It's so over familiar that it makes me feel a bit nauseous actually you can't do that you just can't do it. it shows no respect they might think it's a good idea it's a terrible idea but let me say i think the second name which we all expected diana mm. is a very good idea because harry still is full of raw grief yes 
he can't get over it. He can't move away from it, um, even though he's got everything he asked the Queen for. And I think to have a baby girl who is Di named Diana will link him to his grandmother, his mother, in a very positive way. Yes. Um, he, and do you think that's why they didn't name her Diana as a first name? Well, I don't know why they didn't do that. Um, I suppose they wanted both of these women. Poor old Doria has been left out, Megan's mother. Yes. But um, Well, alongside her father, who still hasn't met the first one. Yes, but she's supposed to get on with her mother, so you'd have thought that Doria might have liked to have the third name, perhaps. Mm. But they've stopped it, too, as they are going to do with children, just the two. Yes. And what about this parental leave business? I mean, I'm slightly intrigued what um, uh, what they're taking parental leave from exactly. Well, I think that's a ridiculous thing anyway, <laughs> leave. I mean, you want to spend time with your baby. Um, you, you you take, what, a few weeks. If Megan wants to take time off and be a mother for a bit, then that's fine. But you don't have to make it a sort of headline. No. Um, that they've been so busy and so doing so many things and now they're going to have leave. It's not as if they work in a shop or no. they work in a factory. No. Um, it's their life. They want to do all these things. And nobody said to them, you've got to work for Netflix and Spotify and write books and do these. These are things they've wanted to do. If you step back, nobody's going to mind. The world is not going to collapse. We're not going to say, where is this couple? You know, I, I need them to help me. Um, I don't believe in that. You know, they can just do the things they can do. You can do a few things at home. Yes. She might get very bored looking I after. mean, you can actually still record a podcast while you are on annual well, leave. Exactly. You know, I've got some news for, for, for Prince Harry. You know, I've probably recorded more podcasts than he has at this point. Uh, you don't actually have to go to work to do it. Yes, that's right. But, you know, you can do lots of things at home. You know, look at the um, pandemic. Uh, I've been working from home for a, over a year and it's been uh, fine. Um, and I can fit in all the other sort of domestic issues uh, around it. It's just pompous. Well, it is. And that's entirely what they are. And also, isn't it interesting that um, Lilibet comes in at number eight on the old uh, uh, numbers in line to the throne, nudging Prince Andrew down to number nine, which I suppose is good news for everybody. But um, <laughs> presumably at some point uh, she will say, Megan, that she does not wish Lilibet to be in any way, shape or form in line to the throne, because obviously she doesn't like the royal family and doesn't agree with its history uh, or indeed its aims. Well, this is theory, but it won't be in fact, I think. Archie's number seven. Yes. So uh, he's going to go... And Harry's number six. And Harry's number six. I, I think there should be something that takes them off the royal list. I don't care about their titles, but I don't think we could afford to have them as a woke uh, in, in Buckingham Palace no. or operating no, us. But also, they've, they've opted out of it all, so surely they should be just removed, shouldn't they? Well, they're stuck in the middle, aren't they? Because if they'd opted out, which is what they kept claiming they want to do because they were neglected and even when Meghan wanted to commit suicide, nobody cared and all that stuff. Why choose names for your baby? It's a tag that brings you right back into the royal family. Why do that? I think they don't know where they are, really. They, do, they want, um, like they did before, they, they want everything without commitment and being able to do it all from choice. And you can't do that. You have responsibilities and loyalties and they just want to 
do what they want when they want and it just doesn't work why name your your daughter after the people that you feel you you don't really like well diana's exception but lilibet you know she criticized the queen they're very rude about the queen mm. they made announcements on instagram without telling her first so they were shocked to the core and deeply hurt um and and that doesn't mean anything they can cast it away it's a very strange way of looking at the world and not one that i find very appealing either go or stay right or still, you can still be friends if you've gone, um, and you can still have some. I, th- sort I think. Of- do you know what I think, Angela? People would have a great deal more respect for them if they just said, "Look, you know, don't call me Prince Harry anymore. You know, don't call me the Duchess of Sussex anymore. You know, instead of which she's writing books calling herself the Duchess of Sussex, and he's still introduced to everybody as Prince Harry." Yes. Well, that's right. Um, it's it doesn't work. They don't know quite what they want. They mm. want all the privileges without any of the responsibility. Yeah, and I mean, I think they want to be able to turn up at whatever the new restaurant is in Beverly Hills and, and get a table in the best part of the restaurant because of who they are. I think that's what they want. They don't seem happy. They might be tremendously in love with each other. I'm not disputing that. They might be delighted that they're now parents of two, but they don't seem happy. Um, I think Megan is somebody who finds it very difficult to be satisfied. She always wants more. Yeah. Nothing enough she's so competitive and and harry tries to please her which is good but it sort of brings him down he looks so depressed and miserable and i hope this new baby can make him think you know this is fantastic i'm now a real family with two children one boy and a girl and let me move forward well it's a very happy time when you have children it's lovely it's beautiful you you don't have to worry about what everybody else is doing that little smile from a tiny baby actually melts your heart yeah, every time. Absolutely. But you can't cling on to being a royal and grumbling and feeling resentful. Um, all this therapy he's had, why hasn't someone really helped him move on? Because perhaps he doesn't want to. I yes. don't believe that. It may that. well be that, that he's more comfortable with it than, than without it. What did you make of the Countess of Wessex's um uh, interview in the Telegraph at the weekend where she kind of mocked slightly the whole Oprah Winfrey thing. I thought it was really well done, actually. Um, I was quite jealous I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> but but I think the comment was quite clever, which they presumably worked out before, that they were bound to be asked this question and they would um, have to find a humorous, light way of dealing with it yes. and then move on. And so that pretense um, about, you know, what's that, who is that? Mm. It was very lighthearted. Apparently, lots of the Sussex fans have gone absolutely ballistic. Oh, yeah. I oh, know. They called her racist for saying that. But, yeah, exactly. I mean, as if, you, as if she was having a go at Oprah Winfrey because of her race. She was not. No. It was just a very straightforward, kind, light-hearted way of getting rid of a subject that they weren't going to get into because it's too dark and too deep. Um, and I thought it was uh, a very cleverly done. And they look so nice together. I mean, they've really come up to the job. You know, when you're desperate and you need someone else, which the Queen and Prince Charles definitely did, they needed another couple to, to help deal with all the engagements. Um, and there they are, and they do things. They don't talk about no. them much as do them, whereas Harry and Meghan make a huge thing about what they're going to do in the future and how they're going to do it and all that. And often it dies down. You know, what Spotify, they've done one 
ridiculous thing on Spotify mm. about traveling with rich people right. who complain they couldn't go away all the time. But what, what's the next one? You know, that was huge. The PR team are very good at exaggerating what's going on. Whereas Prince Edward and Sophie just go and do yeah, it. They do. They just get on with it. But I mean, as I say, hopefully, and I was saying this earlier in the show, if parental leave means they're going to leave us all alone for a while, uh, then I'll be quite happy with that. I think they'll have lots of time to go on the <laughs> Foundation. And when are we going to see the first picture? I see they got their good friend, who's not really their good friend, Omid Scooby, uh, to tell everybody that they will not be releasing a picture at this time. You see, that's also an, an I mean, item. you know, how pompous is that? Yeah, why do it? I think they think everybody is watching them and wanting to know what they're doing. And um, they should say, you know, don't worry, we will do it in good time. When we're ready, we're very gracious, you'll be gracious. I don't know, it's a load of old nonsense, actually. If you don't want to do a picture, don't. Just don't do one. Yeah. Don't do one. In any case, the pictures are usually from the back and you can't really see very much. Right. So not actually um, taking away from us yes. a great I mean, it's a bit like me making a statement, you know, today, now, to you and the rest of the people listening and watching. I will not be issuing any official pictures of myself today. Uh, I will not, <laughs> I'm not ready to do it yet at this time. You know, so what? Everybody's going shrugging their shoulders. We didn't ask for one, you know. <laughs> but there we are. Delightful to see you, Angela. Thank you very much indeed. I'm sure they'll be keeping us... Uh, actually, we should start run the clock on when they're next going to say something, because I bet you they don't last the week without making some kind of statement. Almost, I don't think that's almost certain. I don't but think I would like to see. What I would like to see is is to have little Archie looking over on a sofa with the baby yes. lying there. I think that, that would is be a nice. bridge. And I don't think that makes life difficult for them. Uh, a lot of people would be very pleased to to see that and it would really show that they've got their kids, they've got their family mm. and now's the time to move on and be grateful for what you have. And just be happy, absolutely. Angela, thank you very much indeed. Angela Levin, royal biographer there, uh, of course, telling us that uh, they should be very happy with what they have. I mean, look at what they have got. Well, look at their life, for heaven's sake. And they've now got two beautiful children. Why would you not be happy? Why would you just not, you know, step back from the limelight, step away from the microphone, stop talking to Spotify, stop giving lectures on self-help, and just take it easy and enjoy your children. For heaven's sake. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.